Hey, we are so glad you're here. All over this nation, there are people in churches today, and they're believers. They believe in the central message of Jesus. They've, on some level, accepted his grace offered in their lives. But here's the truth. Until you can take what you've learned, until you can take the grace of God and the power of God and take it to the place where you're stuck, it doesn't make all that much difference in the here and now. Oh, you may still be going to heaven. The goal of this entire message series is to take the truth of God and grab hold of the power of God and bring it to the place in our life where we're stuck and where God wants to move us forward so that we don't just wait on heaven, we experience a little bit of heaven here on earth. That is exactly God's plan for you. Oh, he didn't promise it would always be easy. That's not what I mean when I say heaven on earth. What I mean is that the power and the love and the grace of God is supposed to be working in your life and in my life on a daily basis. And that is nowhere more true than in our marriages and in our relationships. So over the next four weeks, we're going to do something that might seem strange to you. We're going to focus on God's word, the Bible, where we believe truth is contained, that if we will apply the truth, not just know the truth, if we will apply the truth and not just know the truth, it will literally change the trajectory of our lives. The Bible is full, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. The Bible is full of stuff about marriage and relationships. So let me set you up for just a second. You're going to hear some stuff that honestly, for some of us, it's going like, um, to be like bumping that knee that you injured a few weeks ago. And it's fine. You don't even think about it until you bump it again. And then instead of hurting just a little bit like it should when you bump it, because it's previously injured, it's going to hurt a lot. It's going to be like ripping the scab off of a wound. Listen, that's not our heart. Our heart isn't to make anybody feel bad. In fact, our heart is to bring truth from God's word as best as I can over the next few weeks in a way that you can understand it with clarity. And then here's the central question you have to ask yourself. Is the truth from God's word as Ben presents it, stripped away of my imperfection and my own biases and the way I communicate, is the truth that I'm trying to communicate, is that the Holy Spirit's message for you? And if it is, your job is to grab hold of it, pull it in close, and let God do his work in your life. And if it's not for you, and it's for somebody else, to pray for God to let his Holy Spirit work in their lives. But let me caution you. We all have a tendency for self-deception. All of us. I mean, I'm there. We all have the tendency for self-deception in our human lives to think that what we're hearing applies to somebody else in, in a greater way than it applies to us. It's very high. So don't waste what God would like to do in your life and in my life over the next few weeks by thinking, man, I wish my husband were here to hear this. Don't, don't sit in a seat and say, oh, God, please let her listen now. Jesus, uh, God, if you answer one prayer, God, let her hear pastor today. Don't, don't do that. Ask first, God, is this your Holy Spirit's message to me? And then be open to that. David, in the Old Testament, prayed a powerful prayer. He said, God, would you search my heart? And would you see if there's any wicked way in me? 
We don't like that word. In other words, God, if there's anything, if there's even a hint of anything that doesn't honor you, if there's a hint of anything that's outside of your way for me, if there's a hint of anything outside of your plan for me, God, would re- reveal that to me. Wash it away and clean me up, God. So the tool you need over the next few weeks, the tool I need, the tool that has been beating me up for the last three weeks as I've getting prepped for this, that's why I don't feel sorry for any of you about what you're about to experience. God has been raking me over the coals hard. Jill and I have already had every argument you're going to have. We've already done it. We've already had every one of them, like seven times. I don't feel sorry for anybody. The tool you're going to need more than anything else is a mirror. Honestly, to look yourself in the mirror of God. And say, God, what is this for me? Most of us want a flashlight. We want to go, uh-huh, uh-huh, like the police. I remember when I was making out with a girl listening to that very song back in the 80s. It was on the cassette, and we just over and over again. I was, And the police came up on us in the middle of the night and, like, shining the flashlight. And, you know, I couldn't see a thing and because he had the flashlight in my eyes. And I'm, you know, I'm not doing anything. I'm wrong. And, and, and I remember that feeling of, like, man, that flashlight, it's, you know, intrusive. It's revealing. And you're going to want to do what I want to do when I hear stuff like this and shine the flashlight in everybody else's life. And yet it's the tool of the mirror that will make this most effective for us. So in your Bibles... 1 Peter chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3. This is going to be, honest to goodness, the, uh, well, really for the next two weeks, because there's no way I'm getting through all of this today. In fact, when I sent my notes to the tech team, <laughs> I got the note back like, whoa, you want us to set out 50 minutes for this? I was like, no, an hour and a half. I think people will stay. And I was kidding. I was totally kidding. We're going to divide this up. I don't think, I'm confident, I will not get through all of this today. And it's Okay. This passage is a powerful passage. It shows us about halfway through the passage what God's intention for marriage and relationships was. Let me set you up before we read it. First Peter begins by God revealing to the apostle Peter who struggled. He struggled in his faith. He wasn't a perfect apostle. I mean, this guy messed up a bunch. But as he grew up in God, as he got older and as he got wiser and as he got more spiritually mature, God began to use him in very distinct ways from what his earlier life looked like. And he began to capture some of his thoughts and wisdom in letters and wrote them to churches so that people could be benefited from his life experience. The Holy Spirit directed Peter to write in his first epistle, his first letter, about authority. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, you didn't know this, but beyond being a pastor, I'm a magician. And in a few minutes, I'm going to read a passage, and you're going to sense a frost come over the crowd. It's going to, I mean, it's going to be like touchable, all right? And, and it's okay, but I, I, want you to, I want to put it in context before we get there. And if you'll hang with me, not just into the soundbite you dislike, if you'll hang with us for the next four weeks, give us two to three at least, you're going to understand, I believe, God's truth in a way that's going to make it easier for you to grab it and pull it into the place where you're stuck. You're going to be able to grab it and bring it into the place where you need to grow. But if you hear a soundbite or an emotionally charged phrase because of your experience, because of our culture, because of what you think might be going on, and that stops you from listening, then the enemy's already won in your life. Don't do that. So Peter begins to write, and he says, I want you to understand something in chapter 1 and 2. He says, I want you to understand, for instance, why there's a governmental authority and what we should do in reaction to that authority. And then he says, I want you to understand in the workplace what authority looks like and what we should do in response to that authority. And I want you to understand 
in our case, what authority in families and relationships look like and what you should do in response to that authority. Now, you only want to do it according to Peter, we're going to read in just a moment. If you want, here's the two biggies, this is God's plan, if you want to honor God, I'm going to tell you, I can't assume in this room that any of us want to fully honor God. I know that. There are times in my life where I'd love to tell you every single moment I've lived, I've wanted to honor God. Simply not true. It's embarrassing. I hate it. I'm a sinner. That's why I need God's grace. I don't know everything about you, but I bet you're one too. So we might all struggle to some varying degree on whether or not we want to fully honor God. This passage is written to people who want to lean in and honor God more than anything else. More than honor themselves, more than honor their spouse, more than honor their friends, more than want to honor their parents. They want to honor God. But the second thing that this passage is for, it's to help those people who want to experience more joy in their life. Honor God and experience joy. Not just happiness. Joy and happiness are cousins. But joy is an emotion that runs deep into the soul. That you can have joy even in the middle of rough times because your eyes aren't fixed solely on your circumstances. They're fixed on something bigger and greater. God's plan for you. That God is directing your steps. That the present troubles you're experiencing, Peter says, are destined for your refinement and your development. So that while we may not like the refining process, we may not like the development process, they ultimately are there to grow us and help us experience God's joy. So, if you're in this room and to some degree you want to experience the, the joy of God that he has for you, and if your heart is bent to some degree to want to honor God, then this is for you. And if not, when we get done with this message today and every day, I'm going to give each of you who heart, whose hearts aren't there fully a chance to turn, the Bible calls it repent, and move your heart in alignment with God and receive the grace that many of us in this room have experienced. So what did God have in mind for marriage? And every time I use the word marriage, you can insert relationships because there are going to be cross-experiential you know, principles that you can apply to relationships whether you're married or not all right so here it is in first peter chapter three verse number eight near the end of the chapter here's what it says finally all of you who's the all of you those that experience governmental authority those that work in employment authority kinds of issues people who are in family issues where authority things matter all of you now listen to this if this were a picture of your marriage have unity of mind. You walk together. If you have sympathy, there's a real compassion for where the other person's coming from and what they've experienced as they encounter the thing together. If you have brotherly love. Now, in a marriage, the word brotherly love is a little awkward. I get it. But it's talking about a friendship and an affection. Remember, he's talking about broad categories of life. Governmental authority, workplace relationships, in the family. If you had unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart as opposed to a hardened heart, a hurt heart, a bitter heart. And what if everybody in every marriage and every relationship had a humble mind? You had a mind, so you're not a dummy, but it was humble. What if that were true in your marriage? And what if you do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, you bless, for to this you were called to bless others. 
that you may obtain a blessing. Now look, look at these next few words. For, and now Peter's going to be quoting some principles from the Old Testament. He says, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him or her keep his or her tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him or her turn away from evil and do good. Let him or her seek peace and pursue it. I love this. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The righteous are those people doing the things we've just talked about. And his ears, God's ears, are open to their prayers. You got anything you want God to help you with? And just so we understand the seriousness of the nature, the Holy Spirit instructed Peter to write this next phrase. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What if my marriage, your marriage, your relationships, your friendship, your boyfriending, and your girlfriending, what if it had these attributes? Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. We don't repay evil for evil. We don't revile when there's reviling. But on the contrary, we bless the people we're with. That is God's blueprint for marriage. That is God's blueprint for how we engage relationships. All the relationships we have in life leading up to marriage are in some way treating us into experiences experiences where we learn basic ways of relating. Children, watch mom and dad. Kids, watch older teens. We see it on television, in movies, and we begin to learn things about people and the way they interact. And subconsciously, without even actively realizing it, we put down deep in our souls understandings and truths that may or may not be the right ones or the wrong ones, but they just are ours because they come from our experience. And they begin to set the framework by which every relationship in our life is going to be viewed. What if instead of just that experiential source of knowledge, what if... We took God's word and the truth revealed there and the information he gives us as one of his greatest gifts and said, God, we're going to let the information in your word impact us and bounce up against our experiences and begin to mold us and shape us, not into what life wants to create in us, but to what you want to create in us. I don't know what you think the purpose of church is. It's a lot of things that fall under the umbrella of what church can do in your life. It can give you friendships, good friendships, friends going in the same general direction, and that is powerful and potent, and this church does a pretty good job of that. That's why we have small groups. You're going to be able to take a step on that later on in the service. It's to do service outside of the walls of the church, of course, and serve our community and become salt and light. That's part of the mission of the church. But at its core, the church, not the building, but the people who make up the people of God called the church. We are ones who bend towards God's truth, whether we like it or not, when it's painful and enjoyable, when it reinforces us and we feel blessed and encouraged, and when it corrects us and we feel feel spanked like a child. That is the purpose of preaching That is the purpose of church. And God then refines us by his Holy Spirit as we cooperate and he begins to move us. The reason I'm taking time here before I get into anything else is I want to let you know that what the enemy wants to do is to tick you off today. So that you don't come back and let God's words penetrate any piece of your heart. 
the parts that you know and the parts that are hidden from you. He wants to tick you off. He wants to make you mad. He wants to have you upset that we played an 80s rock song in the middle of church and we had too much smoke or I talked too fast or too slow or I said the wrong phrase or somebody didn't say hi to you or I can't believe they didn't have my favorite kind of coffee. You would be surprised at the kinds of things that keep God's people, people who believe, from engaging God's truth. And do you know the only people hurt when that happens? Well... It's you and the people you're in relationship with and the whole church. And that's why when Peter and Paul and the writers of the Bible wrote their words, they weren't interested in a PR contest. They were interested in honoring God more than anything else. And so today, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your perspective, I'm going to be Digging into 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, and taking the subjects as they come up. And today, they primarily hit women. Hold on, we're doing this for four weeks. I'm going to end. The men are like, yes, Super Bowl, and women get beat up. Yes, it's a good day. It's a good day. No, no, no we're just doing it in order, all right? My intent isn't to beat up anybody. But, but, but at, near the end, we're going to begin shifting the weight. Now, I think, personally, Peter is great at this. If I were writing this, I would start with men because I think the bulk of the responsibility falls on men, and I think Peter agrees with that, but he's a genius. He starts by talking about and talking to people who I think generally have a softer heart and who are more naturally bent to understand and are often willing to take the first step where men are lazy and belligerent. So he starts with women in hopes of finding some fertile soil in which to plant truth so that they can begin to grease the wheels of the relationship. And I think what he says here, honestly, is amazingly liberating. I think that our culture has lied to us. I really do. I think this world's power, the prince of the air, the Bible calls him the enemy of our soul, has infiltrated the entire culture and said that some of God's truth, understood in its simplest form, is somehow repressive and oppressive. If you hear that today, that's not my heart. I don't think that's Peter's heart. And I'm going to bring some truth to God's word that I think is going to kind of bring some clarity where there's been some deception. But the truth is, is some of us are going to get hit square square between the eyes over the next few weeks. We're going to talk to women and men. We're going to talk about a powerful principle of forgiveness and bitterness. And we're going to talk powerfully about sex. So go ahead and start the emails. You know why we're going to talk about sex? Because our, our entire culture is preoccupied with sex. But primarily we're going to talk about sex because the Bible isn't silent on sex. And when churches are silent on sex, when the Bible isn't silent on sex, they're not being true to be the church. And so the bottom line is, I hope you don't get offended. But if you do, I honestly think I'm going to be okay. Because the truth is, when I'm doing it right, I care, but I care about much more than I care about. And hopefully I care about much more than I care about. And that's my job. All right? So here we go. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1. <sighs> now, he begins with the word likewise. 
Now, likewise, in the same sense I've been talking to you about employment environments, in the same sense I've been talking to you about governmental environments, in the same sense I've been talking about all these other environments, now let's move to the environment of home and relationships. So likewise, this is not a new thread. He's not going, oh yeah, by the way, let me stick this in here and make sure people get it. He's trying to make sure that in the same spirit of honoring God and experiencing joy in this life, likewise, likewise, he says, wives... And here it goes. Watch the cold frost sweep over the room. I'm a magician. Be subject to your own husbands. Give me a moment. We will unpack. So that even if some do not obey the word, some of your husbands do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respect and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external the braiding of the hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Can you feel it in the room, the tension? Come on, just a little bit. I, I feel it. Y'all feel it? I, I feel it. Which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham. Oh, God, he used the obey word. No, he didn't. Yeah, I'm just reading. I'm just reading. Um, Calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, let me help you. If you believe, by the way, because you were taught in a freshman Bible class at some university who didn't value the authority of God's word, that what's going on here is, is all of the Bible was written in a culture where the female experience was repressed in a patriarchal society, you are only, at best, partially correct. In the ancient Near Eastern world, in Greek and Roman culture, the status of women in various parts of the, of the, uh, of the, of the culture was highly elevated, to some degrees even more than ours. You can do your own Google searches on that. It is true that their culture and our culture are slightly different. I'm not here to try to explain away the truth so that it doesn't hurt our feelings. I want to help you understand something here that I think uh, Peter is trying to communicate as the Holy Spirit gave him inspiration so that we could experience joy and we could honor God. The command of God to a woman is to not put her hope, here's what he's dealing with, for her not to put her hope in anything else other than God. Intrinsic in this text is the phrase, the women of old, historically, like Sarah, they put their hope in God more than in any other place. Out of all the places of life where these women could put their hope, they put their hope in God. Now, I've done a lot of conversations. I've had a lot of conversations with people in various places in life as a pastor, as you might imagine. I was also a high school teacher dealing with kids right on the verge of becoming full adults. And I can tell you that for women and for men, today we're talking about women, we tend to put our hope, our trust, our identity in anything other than God. We try to make sense out of the chaos around us and minimize the hurt around us. And we begin to put our hope and stack up things around us. And that's where we put our trust, our faith, our hope. And what Peter wants women to hear in this more than anything else is that don't put your hope in anything 
other than God. Here's the truth. God is the only one who can complete you. God is the only one who can complete you. Every other relationship, your husband, your boyfriend, your dad, your mom, everybody else will disappoint you. And the more you try to force him or her or somebody else or something or some experience to fulfill the parts of you that only God can fulfill, the more hurt, the less joy, and the less honor you're going to have in your life. And God and Peter don't want that for anything, and I don't want that for you at all. I want you to suck the life out of this passage and let the Holy Spirit whisper into your life with a receptive heart. And if the women of old have done historically, put your hope in God. How you're defined, where your strength comes from, where your purpose from's com- from, where you put your hope is in God. There's an appeal in this text to make sure that women particularly don't put their hope in one of two places. Did you hear it in the text? One is external beauty. Don't put your hope. This is not a text about braiding your hair, you prostitute. That's not what this is about. It's not about you got on jewelry. Look at what a loose woman she is. Now, that's what some fundamentalist groups have tried to make with this passage because they too simply took the words without balancing against the full truth of Scripture revealed in God's whole Bible. They tried to reduce it to one or two simple rules, and when they didn't, somebody didn't measure up to their understanding, then they were labeled. That's not at all what's going on here. God is trying to communicate to women. There's a tendency in women, there always has been, and maybe you're the one exempt. I doubt it fully. But maybe you are, just to give you a little breathing room, where you don't really get preoccupied with your looks, and you're not really aware of how looks impact, at least as you believe they impact, how God sees you or others see you or as you see yourself or as a boy is going to see you. There's a tendency in our culture. You don't believe me? Twelve billion dollars spent on cosmetics in the United States last year alone. I'm not talking about surgeries to suck things out and lift things up. I'm talking about just cosmetics. I don't care. I think women typically look better with makeup. It's one of the reasons I don't like going to Chicago. None of the women there wear makeup, it looks like. I don't know. Just my personal opinion. I grew up in Chicago. I'm allowed to say it. I I spent a lot of time in the South. I think women generally look better with a little bit of makeup. That's just Ben's personal opinion. I think God's fine with that. The problem here is, the problem here is, some women have staked their identity or walk around in a less than full joy kind of state because of how they perceive they look. And Peter says that's enslavement. Don't submit to that. Don't submit to that. Fight that. Let your adorning not simply be the outside, but all of us would like you to know, please pay a little bit of attention because bad breath is highly offensive. (laughs) Please pay a little bit of attention, but don't put your stake there. That is not your identity. Instead, your focus, if you have only five minutes a day to work on it, work on these things, the things inside of you. Your true beauty. The development of your mind. Men, women have a soul. And it needs to be nourished and called out and encouraged and given room to grow. And sometimes because of our culture, I feel terrible, ladies. The way our culture has lied to you and told you where your value comes from. Have you ever noticed you can go to a mall in one city and then a few weeks later go to a mall in another city and all the women... 
tend to look alike. As if they were cloned one after the other. So this idea of the grand diversity that God has for humanity, where all things are beautiful in their place, is not embraced by our culture. And it's a lie. And God's word wants to liberate women and say to them, do not place your identity in the hands of your beauty or your beauty describers or your beauty manufacturers. External beauty is not where your value comes from. I know why you do it. It starts with some as people as little girls, and it gets developed in our media. Instead, put your value, put your identity on the inward attributes of beauty. That's the first thing that Peter would like for women to know in this passage is that rather than giving in and submitting to the lie, submit to the truth of God around beauty and what's really important. As I've gotten older, I have attempted, and Jill and I are discovering anew, not only as she is beautiful and attractive to me externally, I'm beginning to understand just how beautiful God has made her on the inside. I would love to tell you that I have been a perfect gentleman in this subject all of our marriage. Not true. I operate it along the lives of our culture pretty regularly. You know, and that has caused my eyes sometimes to go where they shouldn't go. It caused me to have expectations that weren't God-honoring and didn't bring our marriage joy. And so this passage, while written to women, there is a truth in this for men. It's simply this in the Greek. Quit being a pig. That's what it says right there in the Bible. Quit being a pig. And this... uh, You don't know what I'm pointing at. That's the clock right there. And it's killing me. That's why we're going to pick this up next too. But there is this pornification of our culture. And now we're, 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 we're marketing porn to, to women. We, I'm not. Some people are marketing porn <laughs> to women. And it's shifting the way they see themselves. And it doesn't bring liberty. It may bring pressure in a moment, but it doesn't bring joy. It is bondage. Don't, don't submit to outward adornment. Submit yourself to the beauty of the heart. The scripture says, don't find your hope from external beauty. Cultivate your soul. Cultivate your mind, women. Some women, you hear me read the phrase submit, and instantly this autonomous thing kicks in, and you're like, oh no, he didn't. Yeah, listen to me. There's more going on here. It is our culture that has created a framework by which we hear this stuff. Where if we would cultivate a sincere and honest heart before God, we could let the truth of these passages penetrate us without getting our guard up. There's none of this talk in the Bible about external beauty. I mean, it's mentioned here and there. You read it in Song of Solomon. But always, where it's mentioned, there is the internal qualities that are given the real depth and the real emphasis. I want you to notice, in just a moment when I read a final passage, how how unbelievably self-assured the woman we're going to read about is in just a moment. God is the only one that can complete you. Let Let me give you this other phrase. Your husband can't carry the weight, ladies, of fulfilling your life. If you put that on him, 
he will develop hobbies or other distractions to lighten that ungodly burden. Because you come broken here, ladies, it feeds the brokenness of men. And we know intuitively we can't fully satisfy that even if we try. Even the most sensitive among us, the ones that will go and watch the notebook with you and read your novels, the most sensitive among us, we can't fully carry that. And so what happens is we get distracted. Pornography, hobbies, work, just can't go home. Sometimes men, because we don't think sometimes, we can't put our finger on what it is. We just know that somehow we're a big disappointment there. But the problem was is the expectation was never a God-honoring or a joy-bringing expectation to begin with. So we put our hope and trust there, and we end up disappointing. The other thing that this passage, women, real quickly, it's not complicated. God doesn't want you to put your hope, stake your claim, fix your identity, on a man. He doesn't. Not your husband, not your boyfriend. When I was a high school teacher, it's the one thing I wanted to drill into the brains of the young ladies I taught. If I could open up their cranium and deposit truth into their skull, because you would see it over and over again. No boyfriend is worth your integrity. No man is worth your identity. We can't carry it. We value it, but we don't treasure you. We value what you bring to us, but we don't treasure you. That's our tendency. That's our brokenness. And when your brokenness, the need for that kind of thing, meets our brokenness, well, there's no wonder we have challenges in marriage. Sin meets sin, and it never produces God-honoring or joy-bringing. That's why we've got to talk about this slowly and deliberately and keep our ears and our hearts open. Put your hope in God, not external beauty. And don't put your hope in a man. Years ago, I'll end with this story. You know what that preacher speak is. That's, give me five more minutes. Um, years ago, Jill and I saw the movie Jerry Maguire. How many of you have seen this movie? It's rated R. Bad on you. Anyway, we saw this movie. <laughs> we saw this movie. And I, I, it, was, it was engaging. I typically try to avoid Tom Cruise movies. Just, he's, he's weird. But anyway... Um, <laughs> We see this movie, and you, you remember the scene, ladies? You remember the scene, right? So they're on the elevator, and, like, they're holding hands like pinkies, and then there's this other couple, and they're, like, making out in the elevator, and you discover that they're deaf, and so the deaf lady signs to the deaf man, and, he's, and Tom Cruise is like, what's going on? Because, you know, he's not all there, and he's like, what's going on? And so Renee Zellweger says, she just told him, you complete me. Whoa, and all the ladies in the room are like, oh. and they're all looking at their husbands like, you're a pig. I can't believe you don't. Do you know how you know, you know that goes, man? Don't take your ladies to see romantic movies. You can't live up to that standard, all right? All right? And then later on in the film, right, like there's a bunch of angry women who've had bad relationships sitting in the living room, and they're all running down men and their lives, and like, you know, a, 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 an angry women's club kind of thing. And, and she's there because Tom's disappointed her, and he realizes, I'm good in the living room. You know, I, put me in the living room. I always close the deal in the living room. She comes into the living room, and he begins to talk, Right? And he's like, you know, today was the greatest day in this small little experience we had, this venture. It was probably the greatest day in the history of this small little enterprise called our business. And yet one thing was wrong. You weren't there. Right? And some of you can quote it better than I can because I'm marginally paying attention for my wife's sake. And then, like, you know, she's like, shut up, shut up. You know? And then she says, remember the famous line? You had me at hello. Remember, remember that? So here's my problem. Here's my problem. 
this idea that somebody else completes you. Oh, it's romantic. And I guess to some degree, there's a little understanding of complimenting each other. I get it. You bring out the best in me. The problem is, is for most of us, we bring out the worst in each other. That's a movie. It's scripted. They took 50 takes to get just the scene right. And there's no reality after the film. The reality is, is no one can complete you, ladies, other than God. So if you haven't pursued a relationship with God that is vibrant and alive, it might be that you're partially to blame for what's going on in your marriage. It might be that the best thing you can do for your family is to develop a heart for God and get in his word, get around other believers generally going in the same direction, and on occasion get past talking fashion, movies, books. I don't know what you guys talk about. So I didn't make that list up. If it's wrong, excuse me. Instead, talk at some point, not every day, that's weird too, but at some point, talk about God and how you're doing and ask for honest feedback. Now listen, ladies, if you're feeling I'm being a little too hard on you, wait till next week. I'm telling the men next week, wear your big boy panties. <laughs> because I'm not angry at women. I feel bad for you. Next week, I found myself in preparation just feeling a little angry and mostly at myself. Because the truth of God's word is there. And we have ignored it. And it has robbed us of joy. And it's kept us from honoring God. And we have not been salt and light. We have been selfish. And so Peter says to women, don't submit to the lie of beauty. Don't submit to giving your identity to a man. Instead, in marriage... There's an authority principle that will bring you freedom that we're going to begin unpacking next week. So that word submit, Abraham called, or Sarah called Abraham Lord. We're going to give it context and understanding, and I think it's going to bring you freedom. And about a third of the way through next week, we'll turn our attention to men, and then we'll put tissues by the doors because they'll all be crying. Grab out your connect card, and let's take a few next steps together. I've asked you to press seriously into your relationship with God. Here's the deal. If you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior so you can begin that in earnest, you can check box A. We're going to pray about it, and we'll send you some follow-up information. You're not joining our church. We just want you to take God seriously and begin a relationship with him. Next step B, I want to get baptized. We're going to do that in a moment. These people have all, on some level, put their faith in Jesus. And they all want you to know that they're following him as their Lord and Savior. So when they come up out of the water representing dying to self and being resurrected in Christ, the first sound they hear is this group of people cheering them on and celebrating one of the greatest decisions they've ever had in their life. Next step C, I want to join a small group. In your cup holders were, were programs, you can get in a group and find people to begin encouraging you in the right direction. All right? Put the numbers are there. And then finally, here's next step D. Let's drill down. I have some, here's the word, repenting to do in my marriage or my relationships. And I need to honor God more and bring more joy to me. In short, I need to step it up spiritually. Listen, if you are like some and you're on the verge of meltdown in your marriage, you might have some practical steps to take. I get it. But make sure on the top of your list is getting your own heart right with God. Because no matter what happens with you and your marriage, if your heart isn't right with God, it's going to be tougher. So do your work. Get it right with God. That's my heart for you here. 
And then finally, next step B, I need to let God's word speak authoritatively in my life more than I currently do so that I am more ready and willing to receive truth from God for my life. Just as a general principle, I need to let God's word be God's word and then just humble myself, humble minds to the truth of it and let it find receptive heart, soft soil. Let's pray about these things and then let's celebrate some awesome beginnings, all right? Lord Jesus, you're amazing. God, your word brings so much truth. God, our plan over the next few weeks as we feel that you directed us was to just let your word speak. So word of God, speak to us. God, may your word find soft soil, open ears, receptive minds. God, there are people in this room who need to, honestly, just commit their lives to you. They want the joy, but they don't want the God who brings the joy. Today, that's changing. God, many of us have just been living lives. And I pray, Father, that today you begin breaking that, that stranglehold. You begin doing what you said years ago, that truth would bring freedom. Lord Jesus, today... I pray that as we celebrate these baptisms and the new life we have in you, all of us sinners, grace available to all, that God, you would remind each of us how present you are. And for those of us that are on the edge, God, and we feel like we've already made up our mind and our relationship is too far gone, I pray that the creator of this universe would breathe life, that the Holy Spirit would renew. And over the next few weeks, God, we step to honor you bring glory to ourselves, or to glorify you, and to bring joy to ourselves. I pray it in the name of Jesus.